Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome to another episode of the People's Square. I have a very special guest today, uh, Raw Egg Nationalist. Uh, we're going to talk about some of his ideas and um, his, his uh, cookbook, which has been released by Antelope Hill Books. Uh, welcome, Ren. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. So you have a couple of projects going on. You have... Um, you have, I, I believe this is a series, right? The Raw yeah. Nationals books? Yes, so it's a series. Yes. And um, you also have a magazine, right? Mm-hmm, Man's World. Man's World. It reminds me a lot of those uh, uh, kind of those covers of, of like the guy on the boat fighting off all the beavers and stuff. I'm sure that's what inspired it, right? Uh, yeah, in part, yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of like a lad mag. Because, you know, uh, I think other people have brought this up, but um, a lot of um, men's magazines are are run by by like as like fe- feminist art projects now, <laughs> right? Like yeah, Playboy. Uh, you know, like pl- Playboy is woke. I mean, just imagine yeah, it, that. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a tremendous shame, and because in fact you can go back even maybe just ten years with Playboy, and it's it's still good. It's still yeah. good, but the, the the decline is is very real and is very rapid. Yeah, I mean, I have I have my my criticisms of stuff like that, but you know, I I still you still have to have some perspective um, that you know s- stuff is worse. Even even the most uh, kind of tacky or trashy stuff from twenty years ago is uh, refreshing high culture. Now uh, we've really. Yeah. I, I've seen the the advent of TikTok, especially. I mean, if if you wanted to create something uh, that truly debases people, um, social media in general, but TikTok is really just the the, the lowest humanity has. I, I think a low point in humanity is it not? Yeah, I mean, I've, I I do my best to steer clear of uh, of TikTok, but I do occasionally look at, at at certain videos on TikTok, and yeah, it's it's. It's totally beyond my comprehension. I, I, I don't get it. Um, I don't get it at all. It's like a kind of mixture. I mean, maybe I'm just older, but it's a, a mixture of like karaoke with lots of flashing images and uh, usually a uh, 19-year-old girl with uh, psychological disorders. <laughs> I know. There, there are very few who don't have uh, psychological disorders, it would appear. <laughs> so... Uh, let's get right to it here. I see, obviously, you're you're very much into fitness um, and um, diet stuff, like health stuff, and so on. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I noticed that you know the um, um, it seems like like uh, fitness science is just going back to the consensus of the 1950s. I mean, will we see the day where uh, scientists uh, discover that smoking cigarettes is good for your health. I mean, will we see a retraction on that? I don't know if we'll see a full retraction on that, but certainly, I mean, uh, I'm Damn. sure you've seen. I'm sure you. I'm sure you've seen that um, being a cigarette smoker protects you against coronavirus, for instance. Really? Oh. Yeah, yeah. They've no. They've 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 shown that. They've shown that, uh, and they think it's something to do with the nicotine. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I've I've. Um, I mean, I, I've seen quite a few uh, uh, kind of uh, 
coronavirus cures on the internet, uh, including I saw a guy say that drinking your own urine. Um, and, uh, then also there's people that say, um, you know, various things. Now I, I take these things for grant, uh, with a grain of salt, but with that said, um, there is a lot of truth to the original idea that red meat is good for you. I'm fully on board with that. And I think that, um, the, um, the fads of the 1990s, um, Perhaps even the food pyramid are wrong, right? I'm sure, sure you would agree. Oh yeah, I mean the, the food the food pyramid at the very least needs to be inverted. Um, now, yeah, the the food pyramid's awful. Now, now, I I will say now you may disagree with me. I am not convinced with the uh, anti carb movement. So, um, I I I not only enjoy carbs, I, I think there there is a. Uh, some benefit to eating carbs for energy and so on, right? Um, oh, is yes, yes, there is. To, is it wise to just cut all carbs out of your diet? Because I, I, I've seen some research that suggests that you might uh, be fucking with your insulin in a sense when you do that and uh, your, your ability to, your pancreas to, to process carbs and so on, you may lose that. Is that, is there any truth to that? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I think that, I think that, uh, that uh cutting all carbs going to a, a like a full ketogenic diet for a long time can have um can have all sorts of um negative effects for the liver i mean i know that the that the inuit for instance have certain problems because of their because of their um carbless diet or no carb diet um i mean i'm i'm probably well i've cut all grains out of my diet that's what i've done and and cutting bread and grains made me feel very very good really uh, very 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 much better yes but i mean i drink i drink a lot of raw milk so i get the i get the milk sugars hmm. um, well i i think there may be also um kind of uh, ethnic idiosyncratic things going on with that too perhaps that yes you know, a, a hard a, a high carb diet or a, a Celtic person may impact their body differently than, say, a, a an Italian or a Southern European sure. who have been eating carbs for thousands and thousands mm. of years. Um, I, I mean, the pro- part of the problem is that, uh, especially if we're talking about grains and gluten, is that modern varieties of wheat are very, very different from ancient varieties of wheat, and they've changed. They've changed massively, I think within the last sort of 50 years as well these um new varieties of wheat have much more gluten in them uh and i think i think that they're much harder for people to tolerate um and then you also and then you also have to factor in in that uh people are being exposed to higher and higher concentrations of things like glyphosate when they eat bread when they eat non-organic grains um, it's it, it's a it's a compl- it's a complicated issue. It's not it's not easy to disentangle all of these different things that are going on. I mean, my my general uh, advice to people is to to try it and see. I mean, as as soon as I cut out grains, I felt fantastic. My 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 energy levels were higher. Uh, I didn't get anything like brain fog. My my mental processes were much much clearer. And um, I mean, there are there are studies that link consumption of wheat to uh increased levels of schizophrenia for instance there's a there's a paper that um, interesting 
there's a paper that you may have seen. It's at the back of um, Harassment Architecture by Mike Marr. Uh, on the on the inside back page, uh, he talks about this paper. It's called Bread and Other Edible Agents of Mental Disease. And it's a, a paper that is very specifically about the association between gluten consumption and mental illness that that, that I think is, <clears throat> is there's a very there's quite a close correlation. Interesting. Um, I, I would I would say, though, that, you know, I, I, I look at the world usually through a, a kind of like Pareto or, or maybe even like a historic historical perspective. Now, sure. one thing I will say is that um, the ability to, um, you know, have grains have also been a positive, you know, uh, oftentimes um, advanced civilizations were able to, mm. uh, you know, uh, develop. Thanks to you know grains being able to sure. to, to, to to have yeah uh, well crops, you know, so, on. so go ahead yeah I was I was just gonna say a large scale social organization was impossible before the advent of grain grain agriculture you know you just didn't you just didn't get large scale social organization before right. grain agriculture so I mean as as an historical as an historical event uh, as an event in the history of man then the advent of grain agriculture is it's a revolution uh, yes. absolutely is a revolution and it transforms the way that people transformed the way that people lived uh transformed neolithic a, right neolithic revolution yeah exactly exactly and in fact actually that is something that i'm i'm going to talk about in my latest book that i'm writing at the moment which is uh going to be called the eggs benedict option mm-hmm. so you're you're very much uh the raw egg nationals, the the, uh, the cookbook is very much centered around um, steak and eggs, right? As yes. uh, essentially the, uh, the 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 best thing you can eat. Um, I eat steak every day, personally. It's not for any dieting reason. I just like it. Yeah. Um, usually Good. with pota- potatoes on the side, baby potatoes, or and so mm-hmm. on. I'm not sure what you think of those, but um, well, but, I mean, steak, meat, meat, and potatoes is a is a is just like a classic um yes is a classic farm boy i mean look at look at midwest farm boys like there's a reason why a lot of very very strong people a lot of strong men football players um are midwest dudes and that's because they grew up on farms eating meat and potatoes every day and drinking loads of milk yes and but one thing i've noticed uh you know in the united states i'm not sure i'm sure the united kingdom is very similar is that here in america um, first of all, r- rural people have kind of, uh, stopped eating like that. They, they've, uh, been eating more processed things, more sugar infused things out of bags yep. and boxes. Uh, and, and I think that, um, you know, I, I haven't looked at how, say the structure of the grocery store or the supermarket has changed. But if you walk into a supermarket, you'll notice that the plenty that we are kind of, um, you know, almost a point of pride in the West that you walk into a supermarket and there's plenty of food. Uh, a lot of that is a, it's a bit of an illusion, isn't it? Because yeah. 90% of the food in a supermarket is processed garbage um, that has hardly any real food in it. So take like, uh, you know, uh, boxed cereal, uh, frozen foods, uh, so on and so on. These are the things that make up the majority of products in a supermarket and to get the uh you know the 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 actual food it's really 
It's been cast off to the margins, just like people with good ideas are cast off to the margins. The good food is cast off to the margins in the supermarket. It's not being promoted or uh, there's rarely you're never going to see a decent sale on steak <laughs> at the supermarket. Right. No, no, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So exactly. Uh, we're, we're incentivized to eat. Uh, you know, things like uh, frozen pizza and stuff like that. You know, I, I love pizza, but I like. Yeah, to make I, it I like a pizza. Yep, yeah. I eat a pizza. Um, so I, I think in general, the uh, yeah, again, the, the illusion of plenty. You know, I, I constantly mm. hear conservatives say things like, um, well, look at our poor. Our poor people are so lucky because they're all fat and happy. Well, first of all, they're not happy. No. But. Second of all, um, you can be obese and malnourished. Yes, I mean, I think I think by definition, if you're obese, you're malnourished. Interesting. Go uh, expand on that. Well, I'm, I mean, just because I think you I think you you build up all sorts of deficiencies if you're obese. I mean, you can you can put on weight and still be still be you know lacking in all sorts of um, all sorts of vitamins and minerals. And in fact, if you're eating, if you're eating a lot of, let's say, grain-based products, plant-based products, then they have anti-nutrients in them, uh, which actually prevent the uptake of essential, essential uh, minerals, metals, that sort of stuff. I mean, so, so yes, I mean, if you, if you tested the average uh, obese person, you would discover that they are probably deficient in all sorts of, in all sorts of uh, essential minerals, Yes. And, uh, other good stuff. Now I notice that um, you know a lot of a lot of uh, so, sometimes I, I notice that dieting science. I don't really pay attention to it, but you know, sometimes dieting science can be like a just so story. You know that uh, oh sure. this and that. But uh, I do think that uh, I'm not sure if you have any knowledge of this. So uh, in my personal case, uh, I, I'm kind of unique because uh, I have no cravings for sugar. Uh, maybe I'll have a, a rupee float once a year or something. Yep. No cravings for sugar. I, I don't crave beer. Uh, I prefer liquor, which is not good either, right? But uh, I much prefer... better, much better than beer, though. Yes, absolutely. I, 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 I prefer to, you know, if, if I do have a beer, I like a nice pint of Guinness, you know, which yep. I think is uh, uh, pretty sure it, it, I, I saw. I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere that Guinness is good for you. Um, I don't know where I, I, I think it's, I think it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, that, that's, that's what they always say. That's what they always say at least. And I mean, uh, my great, my great grandmother used to, uh, drink a pint of stout a day late into her, very late into her life. And she lived into her late nineties. So there's kind of a, a, like a family, a family legend about the, uh, about the benefits of drinking stout, but um, yeah, they say it's got all sorts of vitamins in it, right? And and so I, I just compare like a nice hearty, uh, nice hearty pint of Guinness or Murphy's uh, versus these kinds of like uh, you know Samuel Adams Light and uh, mm. Amstel Light and stuff, and I'm like you know I I just have no desire to even drink those, um, but um, yeah, I, I do prefer a nice whiskey, a nice vodka or whatever over uh, any of that other stuff now do you think there is a perhaps a genetic or biological component to craving sugar uh yes yes there is i mean i i have seen studies about um 
about the fact that well, if you eat junk food, you want to eat more. I mean, that 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 is obvious. And there was a study. There was a study recently that was done on. It was actually on the BBC. There was a program. Uh, I don't know if you saw about this. Um, it did make the sort of international headlines. Uh, a doctor, GP, general practitioner, decided to spend a month eating the food that I think something like two thirds of the British population eat now, which is 80% processed food. So 80% of their calories come from processed food. Um, I did see uh, that. Yes. Yeah. So he, so he changes just for a month, uh, 80% of his calories come from uh, processed food. And obviously he puts on weight as you would expect, but there are all sorts of other um, uh, really pretty drastic changes that, that took place. He lost his libido. He got piles. Uh, he started to suffer from anxiety. He was waking up in the middle of the night to eat, to eat like, you know, uh, microwave lasagna and stuff. <laughs> and yeah. um, they did they did brain scans before and after. And they showed that... Uh, his brain had basically been rewired like a heroin addict's. The same, the same um, areas of the brain that, that are activated by addiction to hard drugs are activated by processed food and all sorts of... It creates new connections, basically, that, that, that lead to cravings. And they showed... They did a follow-up a couple of weeks later or a couple of... I think maybe... I think actually it was a couple of months later and they showed that the connections in the brain were still there. His brain had been permanently rewired to make him want to eat junk food. Yeah, you know, um, I hear, I don't, I don't know if you've uh, been to the United States, but uh, I've had, yes, I, I think British, British, uh, the British lifestyle is not that different from the American lifestyle, but uh, I had a friend from Greece once many years ago visit in uh, New York City for several months. And, um, he he gained something like 25 pounds and uh he would get up in the middle of the night he was skinny as a rail when he first got to to, to new york mm. and he would get up in the middle of the night and walk down the street to the 24-hour diner and he would God. be oh malakas the texas burger texas burger <laughs> i cannot stop eating it what and, and i i noticed a lot of europeans maybe not from britain but a lot of Europeans that come to the United States, they're like, why does the food here taste so amazing? Uh, everything here is just, you know, from, from the from the fast food burgers to the pizzas mm -hmm. to everything. Everyone is just uh, completely addicted when they come here. Um, so well, I, I think, think it, I think for that. I think if you compare. I have I've seen this. I've seen a few tweets about this, actually comparing the ingredients lists uh, of identical products or supposedly identical products in the US and the UK. So let's say it's um, uh, uh, cookie crisp or something, cereal. Like in the UK, the ingredients list will be a third the length of the ingredients list in the US. Uh, so there's all sorts of stuff going into American products that doesn't go into British products. Wow. I mean, I did, I did, I did notice... Um, when I came to the US, that was in about 2008, I went to Los Angeles. Um, uh, I wanted to buy some healthy bread. I thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll go to the supermarket, I'll buy some wholemeal bread. And um, I got it back and uh, made a sandwich. And the bread was like brioche, you know, brioche, the, the very, yes. very sweet. I'm like, 
this is supposed to be wholemeal bread. You know, this is like the healthy option, and it's and it's brioche. Right. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, and I won't shot. even I won't even get into things like uh, flaming hot Cheetos. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you know, I remember when I was in school, the uh, the, uh, the chemistry teacher actually tried to make a point uh, by by like just talking about the things in your flaming hot Cheetos, and you basically have a chemistry set in your stomach. When you eat yeah. those disgusting things, <laughs> you know, but I, you know, you do notice that you're right. And the BBC documentary is correct that when you stop eating things like Funyuns and Cheetos and things like that, mm. you notice that you just lose your taste for them. Um, yeah. It's just yeah. like, it is like a, like a bad habit or a drug, you know, and uh, yeah. I just like, even, even now, like, you know, I, I, I eat a lot of, you know, frankly crap, but you know, it's not usually that kind of stuff, like out of a bag or something, or, or yeah. cookies, cookies and cakes and stuff. Uh, sure. you know, rec- recently, I, I purchased a uh, protein shake that was um, advertised as grass-fed and organic. Yeah. And I took a sip of it, and it was so sweet. I was just disgusted by it. Yeah, there's always a sting. There's always a sting in the tail with these things. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, the best one I take is the uh, optimum way, kind of the, the natural one. It's very mild mm. in terms of the flavor. I, I, I'm just a person that has a very, uh, when it comes to sugar and stuff like that, I prefer less. You know, I like black coffee. I prefer sure, good man. Things like that. Yeah, and uh, not, uh, and, and sometimes even like uh, kind of like the, the sauces, I, I, I can't stand like Thousand Islands dressing or, um, you know, kinds of uh, processed oil based uh, sauces and dressings and so on. I, I just can't, uh, I, it's not that I can't stomach them. I just, I just don't have a taste for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So w- let's get to weightlifting. So I, I've, I've, I've weightlifted from, for several years off and on. And um, it, it seems like you are more interested in, you know, kind of the, Steve McQueen school rather than the uh, uh, more modern human lab experiment school. Yeah. Right. right? So uh, go, go into that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, my my focus, well, my avatar on Twitter is Vince Gironda, who was a, a, a sort of pioneer of bodybuilding from the from the late 1940s, early 50s, right through the 50s and 60s he died in the early 90s but um uh he sort of fell by the wayside uh, after the kind of 1970s but he was a big pioneer had a gym in in west hollywood and he trained a lot of film stars so the film studios would send their leading men leading ladies to him so he could get them into shape he trained um clint eastwood uh share um apollo creed um whoever plays apollo creed i forget is it carl weathers uh various other people um uh might have trained nick nolte i think as well but uh, sort of people like that but then he also trained arnold schwarzenegger uh frank zane uh don howarth these are all like classic classic bodybuilders he trained the first mr olympia larry scott um uh but his focus was very much on uh aesthetics i mean he if you read his book he talks about the the um eternal ideas of all the eternal principles of aesthetics that were kind of laid down by the greeks and 
you know he was he was very much about about mass mass had to serve a purpose it wasn't mass for mass's sake which i think is the is really the rule in bodybuilding now and has been the rule in bodybuilding since probably the the late 1980s certainly since um dorian yates became mr olympia which was early 1990s um so yeah i mean i I, i'm not i'm not interested at all in in um taking experimental experimental uh substances that are cooked up in some lab in eastern europe um for the, yeah. for the sake of for the and, sake of being as enormous as possible no that's that's definitely not not me correct me if i'm wrong too but vince Gironda was also uh very much uh anti-steroids right he was yes yeah yeah he was yeah and his um his emphasis on eggs or his um promotion of eggs was as an alternative to steroids so he had this I mean, he was he was very well read. He used to read a lot of scientific papers. He was he was one of the first people actually to um, really push for fat based diets rather than carbohydrate based diets. Um, so he had his bodybuilders walking around drinking pints of cream. Uh, that's what Larry, Larry Scott used to walk around drinking pints of cream. But um, yes, he promoted he promoted eggs as an alternative to steroids or a particular diet involving eggs, which was the 36 egg a day, uh, hormone precursor, yeah, hormone (laughs) precursor diet as he called it. So you would, you would do it like a cycle of steroids. So it would, it would take place over a period of eight weeks and you would, um, over the, (laughs) over the, over the each week, you would build up the amount of eggs that you were eating each day until you were eating 36 a day for a month. And then you would cycle back off that down to a, a more reasonable number, like say 12 or 18. Um, and God, that's a lot of and, eggs. Man. Holy yeah, it's a lot of eggs. And you, you would take them, you take them raw. That was the, that was the, um, right. And shakes with, um, with milk and cream. So, yes. I mean, I mean, when you're, when you're doing the, when you're actually eating 36 eggs a day, you're taking in like 6,000 calories just from the eggs, milk and cream alone. Um, but, but the thinking behind it is that, uh, and this has actually been backed up now by scientific studies, that massive infusions of cholesterol are extremely anab- anabolic and drive hormone, especially testosterone production and muscle gain. And there are now studies that substantiate that you know, with proper proper science. Yes, yes, and that that seems to be more recent because, of course, yes, cholesterol was demonized for decades. Yes, um, yeah, and uh, and now it seems like it they 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 totally flip flopped on it. Um, now yeah. it's interesting you talked about you know Vince Gironda's philosophy on the classical body, the classical embodiment, right? Um, mm. you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure how, how profound Vince was, but, uh, you do see some of that expanded upon in, uh, Yuki Omishima's Son and Steel, the famous, sure. uh, famous autobiography, uh, on, on his decision to become, to go from a nerd to a, uh, you know, weightlifting guy because he saw, yep. I remember reading that, uh, he was really embarrassed when he couldn't lift the shrine. Um, or he saw other men lifting the shrine, mm. the, uh, the Shinto shrine, and he wanted to be a part of that. The 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 spiritual enlightenment of strife, of collective strife, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that that that's something that speaks to all of us on a very 
all men on a very fundamental level. Mm. Um, so back to um, back to weightlifting. Um, so I've never again. I, I a lot of people like uh, have have said this to me that I've never really expressed much interest in dieting or weightlifting plans or anything. Like I, mm. I, I I'm from the old school, the New York old school of just lifting lifting heavy things so you can fight people in the street like that's just that that that's uh <laughs> nothing nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that um but um you know me personally like i like to keep it very simple i i do the compound lifts yeah um, deadlifting squatting bench press overhead press yeah um, that's good barbell barbell uh rows barbell bicep yep. curls uh, and then of course, you know, I, I, for many years I had, because I have naturally, I have narrow shoulders. So, um, I always struggled to build my shoulders, but I mm-hmm. realized that, uh, you can use these kinds of, uh, periphery or accessory, uh, weightlifting exercises like, uh, uh, lateral raises. Right. Yes. Uh, and I, I found that I was very responsive to that. So, um, so there is, I, I you know, I, I, I question sometimes the um, the effectiveness of certain types of bodybuilding workouts, like when The Rock tells yeah. you, like, do do 30 curls on the machine. I'm like, yeah, if you want to pump steroids in your bicep. But- exactly. Well, <laughs> well, this is, well, this is the thing, is that you, there's this whole, there's this whole uh, uh, kind of world of deception about steroid use and yeah. you know all, all of these i mean <laughs> the the thing is that you know if you're an in, even an instagram influencer um and your work depends on looking absolutely shredded and as muscular as you can then you're going to take something and i i do think that it's safe to assume that even most instagram influencers are taking steroids but that's certainly the case when you're when you're talking about when you're talking about like action heroes like the rock um and uh you know pe- people who rely on being buff to make money um so so yes i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of advice being given by by influential people who actually which doesn't really apply to normal people who aren't taking anabolic substances right and uh i think um you know uh I mean, again in my my experience i've you know, I, I've experimented with drugs before, but never steroids. And it's not for any uh, ethical reason, maybe partially, but uh, mostly it was because I believe the uh, probably false rumors that, uh, you know, if you take steroids, it'll it'll turn your uh, it'll turn your dick into a spaghetti string. Uh, so it, will, just, it will make your te- <laughs> it will make your test. It will make your testicles shrink. It does well, depending on the steroids, probably. Yes. It will cause your body to shut down natural testosterone, won't it? Won't it? Yes. And and I think that they're starting to um I saw a study the other day that said that uh I mean it like it it really does shut it down, I and it and you're lucky if it ever comes back. Uh I mean, I don't I don't fancy much having to take having to take some kind of um uh, testosterone replacement therapy or something for the rest of my life. Um, Dang, yeah. I mean, I, what I the, the way I look at it is like, I understand if you're in your sixties and you want to feel 30 again, like, you know, okay, mm. maybe 
that's fine. You're you're at the end of your you know you're you're heading out out, yeah. out the door at some point. But um, you know if you're a younger man and you're taking you know synthetic testosterone or any of these other kinds of steroids. Psalms. Yes, arms. I think uh, you know there, there, there's a bunch of new ones too. Uh, Turkestone or what? What's it called? Turkestone. Turkestone. Yeah. Yeah. More plates. More plates. More dates. Sells that. Derek sells that. Ah, and yeah, and it's legal. Yeah, I saw something on YouTube about that, and because they're constantly trying to sell you crap. But my my greatest fear, and this is going to be quite a quite quite interesting, that if Say we have something like the COVID stuff, but ten times worse, where uh, people can't access their pharmaceutical drugs. Mm. Uh, you're going to get all these like super jack dudes turn into like weeping. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's going to be a crisis. The country and civilization will be collapsing, and the guys that you assume are going to be yeah. Conan the Barbarian with the swords, you know, taking everyone out, they're going to be hiding in the corner, crying, eating pints of Ben and Jerry. That's actually something that Varg Vikerns said um, uh, in one of his many uh, Thulean perspective videos. I remember about what will happen to uh, extremely muscly men when the collapse comes. So, yeah, I mean, I do, I do think that that. Yeah, I do think that the people who actually look like they're gonna like they're gonna rule the uh, post-apocalyptic wasteland will probably end up uh, withering and not being quite as useful or as um, all powerful as they think they they think they're gonna be. Yeah, I mean, you think, oh shit, it's this guy's when when everything uh, goes out, when all civilization goes out the window, this guy's gonna be Lord Humongous from Mad Max. Like I, I was when I when I watched the original Mad Max, I was like, "Hey, where does where does Lord Humongous get his steroids <laughs> in the post-apocalyptic? Where, where does he where does he get like his protein shakes and stuff? Like you know." Uh, but in all in all seriousness, that that is something that ter- There's something about being dependent mm. on on advanced kind of uh, boutique products, whether they're steroids or anything else. There's something about that that. Uh, uh, makes me, uh, you know, it's kind of iffy that if you're in a, in a bad situation where you can't access these things, you're in trouble, aren't you? Yeah, for real. Yeah. But even, but even if you're not, even if you're not in a bad situation, there was a, there was a, um, a piece in, uh, something like the LA times or the New York times, some kind of glossy, glossy mainstream publication about, uh, how rampant steroid use is in Hollywood and in and in sort of celebrities in general in California. And um, one of there was an anecdote where this uh, sort of um, Instagram thought type uh, woman was saying about how she'd been out on a date with a man and they were driving in his like, really nice car somewhere and he pulled over and injected himself with some kind of steroid or t- testosterone or, or whatever and um just like thought nothing of it and uh said that he you know he had to do it at that particular moment there was no there was no question of him not doing that it didn't matter that he was on a date with her he had to inject himself and i mean it's uh yeah, yeah i mean kind, if... that kind of that kind of dependency for me yes is is just 
Right. You know, like, for me, for me, for me, it's a personal choice. I'm if you're if you want to take steroids, I'm not going to lecture you on it. Sure. I don't care. It's your business. But yeah, um, I, I do. I do think that there are some concerns about that. Um, yeah. But you know, there, there's there's trade offs in everything. If that's your thing, like you know, being super huge, then yeah. Go right I mean, ahead. if you if you want to if you want to be Mister Olympia, right, you have to take steroids. There's no there's no question. You're not going to do it as a natural. I mean, Mister no, Mister Olympia hasn't hasn't probably hasn't probably ever been natural, but certainly hasn't been natural since probably the early seventies. Um, so yeah. Yeah. If you want to compete as an Olympic athlete, if you want to be an Olympic weightlifter, then yeah, you're probably going to have to take steroids. If you want to, if you want to be a, a, a top tier mixed martial artist, you're probably going to have to take something too. Um, and that's just, yeah, that's just the, that's just the cost. That's just the yeah. price of admission. Right. Um, so I, I noticed a lot of your recipes other than, uh, uh, so, so what, what's your take on, uh, I, I personally really love garlic onions. Um, and so on. I, I, I talked to mm. someone, I, I've told this story before when I used to work in construction, I worked with a guy who was a, uh, I used to know a Romanian immigrant and, uh, real, real tough guy, not, not necessarily like a buff bodybuilder, but like probably the strongest man I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember asking him, so I was like, you know, I was just curious about Romania and, uh, and he was, and I was like, you know, so what do you guys eat in Romania? I mean, are you guys, you know, you're kind of like Southern Europeans, but also Slavic, like what, mm. what, what, what's your diet look like? And just plop the a big onion on the table <laughs> and he goes this. <laughs> <laughs> So what, what do you think of those things? Like, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen a green vegetable in many, many years, but I do love onions and so on. Uh, is, are there benefits to eating onions for weightlifters? Uh, there very definitely are benefits to eating onions. Um, I saw a study not that long ago about the effects of feeding raw onion juice to rats, and it increased their testosterone three to, uh, threefold, I think. Um, Given I mean, rats, yeah, wow. I'm, I, I, I mean, think a lot those of, are the um, grain of salt, though. Rats sure. Yeah, go ahead. Sure, but um, I mean, a, a lot of a lot of people take raw garlic as a pre-workout supplement because it it um, increases blood flow, among other things. I mean, like if you if you want a massive pump, take some raw garlic before you work out. I um, I absolutely love raw garlic. I love garlic. Um, I eat it with everything. Yeah, me too. Pasta, I eat it even on, I put it on pizza sometimes. It's like uh, one of my favorite uh, kinds of flavors out there. And I'm sure there, uh, what, 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 what do you think is the secret to, 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 to garlic being so beneficial? What's in it? Uh, well, what's in it is what's in onions as well. I think it's allicin, I think is the active ingredient that is um, very, very good for you. I think it, among other things, it promotes blood flow. I think it does have some effect on testosterone production as well. Um, might have some um, aromatase inhibiting properties. Aromatase is a an enzyme which is produced by fat cells, which converts testosterone or excess testosterone into estrogen. Ah, so if you can if you can inhibit the action of that enzyme, you can prevent the. Uh, production of of uh, estrogen from excess testosterone you know one one thing i, I want to get your opinion on is i'm sure you know it's kind of a consensus at this point but specifically 
cod liver oil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, usually when the winter months come around, you know, everyone gets kind of blue and depressed and so on because yeah. of lack of sunshine. Uh, yeah. And in my case, probably lack of certain vitamins, too. Um, yeah. Ever ever since I started taking a, a spoonful of, uh, you know, the liquid version, I find that the tablets or the, uh, the capsules don't really work. But mm. uh, I, I'll take like a spoon of uh, Carlson's cod liver oil. And yeah. um, it, it really, it doesn't change your life. But like, you know, when, when you feel some, some, uh, some uh, negativity creeping in, Mm. Uh, it really does push back against that and, uh, just, uh, you just feel better. Right. Uh, so I'm sure you agree with that, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a certain, there's a certain amount of debate about, and I'm, I'm not totally up on this, but there's a certain amount of debate about whether the so-called essential fatty acids, like um, the omega fatty acids are actually essential or not. Um, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about it, but I mean, I think, I think the the best thing that you can do is eat oily fish, is eat yes. good quality oily fish, and certainly, I think with any supplement that you buy, you want it to be the best quality, um, uh, and and that that I think is true of cod liver oil. You want it to be, you want it to be produced in a in a way that is as um, maybe maybe this is the wrong word, but is is as sympathetic as possible to the to the fats themselves because it's like um you know there are different ways of processing the fats and some of them can alter their chemical properties or sort of um distort and um change them in ways that can be harmful within the body so yeah what what you you want is cold pressed essentially i think is is the best kind of method for preserving the uh character of um the desirable characteristics of fats like uh fish oil Right. You know, I, I've uh, the, the healthiest people I've I've known in my life and seen are Scandinavians, the, the healthiest yeah. Europeans. Um, and um, one of them told me once that during the winter months and, you know, the winter in Scan- parts of Scandinavia can be quite brutal and yeah, dark. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they were telling me what they do is they'll, they'll just put some cod liver oils on the grill, uh, some cod livers uh, and yeah. eat them like that. They'll just eat the nice. cod um, and, uh, you know, cause I, I noticed that, I, I mean, what, what do you think, what do you think the secret is to scan every, every scan I know is always very, very, uh, tanned, uh, in, in good spirits, uh, for all their, you know, people will, will call them, you know, oh, look at their political situation or whatever. But yeah, uh, when, it, when it comes to their individual health, it seems like they are, uh, far, far healthier than, uh, people here in the Anglosphere. Uh, yeah, simply better in a better state of mind and more stable, more psychologically healthy and so on. What, what do you think? It's the diet, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I so I went to Sweden uh, a few years ago, maybe about five, six years ago now, and uh, stayed just south of Stockholm on a little island in uh, a cabin and uh, in the summer. And it was it was just so it was so charming. And I, I thought. I mean, it was expensive. It was very expensive over there. And it, when we when I went to Stockholm, then it was, I mean, it was <laughs> eye-wateringly expensive. But yeah. um, they they just seem to have a, a a better quality of life. There's just something about even something as simple as just like the island where I stayed. Then they had a big communal sauna that everybody could use. That was I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they probably paid to to maintain it, but they had a communal sauna, and you just go and sit in the sauna and 
then you jump in the sea and <coughs> get back in the sauna and they're just i don't know i mean i i don't know too much about their diet but i mean i, I certainly the pe- where i was we were eating lots of, of really nice fish lingon berries we went in the forest and we were um foraging for wild mushrooms i had some elk meat as well and stuff like that and yeah i mean i'm sure that they are probably they're probably in many ways closer to nature and closer to their traditions certain of their traditions certainly culinary traditions uh than we are in in the uk for instance yeah i mean what you know british food gets a a, to say say the least gets a bad rap (laughs) but um Hmm, I, yeah, British, I use, British food does get a bad rap. It's, it's a funny thing, though. I mean, it's I think, not that bad. It's it, not it that is, bad. Well, I mean, you're. I, I, I mean, you're. There are. I think there are. Probably, I think there are more Michelin star restaurants in London now than there are in Paris. Um, I, I mean, I would say that I think that part of the reason why British food is supposedly so bad is uh, is because of the impression that uh, that British food left on American GIs and Amer- American service personnel during World War Two. Who, of course, came over during rationing when you know there wasn't very much food to go around as it was, um, uh, and I think and I think that industrialization, uh, the, the historical experience of industrialization, of the kind of dislocations of, of of industrialization, had quite a profound effect on our food culture as well. I mean, there are there are wonderful, wonderful traditional foods and traditional recipes in this in this country and you can you can get amazing regional cheeses and products that are that are just as good as any regional cheese or product from france yeah uh but they just sort of don't i mean they're starting to get much more exposure now but but i think for a long time then uh then uh then yes it, it it did seem like we we didn't really have much to offer the world other than pies and and stodgy puddings yeah, I, I think that's also um, you were talking about industrialization um, and also the advancements in food processing where mm. um, you'll often see when they when they when they find um, when they find the the, uh, the when they study the uh, the corpses of, of, say, British aristocrats after yeah. the advent of bleaching flour, they, they find that the British aristocrats were the only ones who could afford it. So they actually had like mouths full of rotting teeth <laughs> yeah. from eating yeah. from eating uh, bleached bread from eating white bread while the poorest of the peasants had full sets of teeth um, yeah because they ate the uh natural bread with the wheat germ in it without any sugar um, yeah so that, well, that, well this is i mean there's a there's a there's a very profound um misunderstanding about the nature i think of life in the past uh, sort of following on from from what you're saying about the the peasants having full teeth and stuff. There's a great, um, very famous book. I'm sure you've heard of it. Weston Price: Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. <clears throat> well, so it's a it's a book that was it was written, I think, in the 1930s by this uh, doctor called Weston Price. And what he was interested in was the effects of um, the transition from traditional to Western diets in uh, around the world, in traditional societies around the world. So he went to places like uh, the Pacific Islands. He went to uh, some remote Scottish islands, uh, the Orkney Islands, I think, and elsewhere around the world and showed 
I mean, he, and he took pictures and did studies of the physical effects of changing from eating traditional foods prepared in the traditional manner to Western processed foods and uh, the almost immediate physical effects, degenerative effects that take place, like, for instance, um, uh, rotting teeth, obviously, but also things like um, malformation of the dental arch, so the top of the inside of the mouth uh, doesn't form properly because people aren't chewing enough because, you know, a, a Western processed food diet, you can basically suck down your throat. Um, yes. And there are these amazing, amazing pictures of, especially of twins. So he found twins in certain cases, like I think in the Orkney Islands, he found uh, twins, one of whom, uh, they were men, I think, one of, one of whom ate the traditional diet of oats and like smoked herring or whatever and, and um, uh, traditional foods. And then, and, and he was like, looked really good strapping chap uh no no cavities in his teeth nothing no caries his dental arch properly formed great big jaw you know and then his brother uh has a recessed chin <laughs> awful awful teeth you know and but but they are they're identical twins right and 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 that that's the immediate physical effect of choosing the wrong diet interesting yeah. yeah, it's quite it's quite a ama- it's quite amazing. I mean, you you know, just anecdotally no- here in the United States, the the novelty of seeing a morbidly obese Chinese person, <laughs> <laughs> the novelty of such a thing, you know, the the thing you you don't see in Asia. Um, mm. Now, a- Asians are are very interesting. Now, I I personally am not too fond of of Asian food. I don't like it that much, uh, but um, uh, you do notice that, for example, the Japanese are uh, per capita, the most prolific cigarette smokers in the world, I believe. I'm not sure if that's if that's still true, but it was a few years ago. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it definitely um, was. And um, and yet they have extremely low instances of lung cancer. Parents yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, and I think that uh, what they what they basically found was that their their fish diet is uh, kind of has a protective effect on their on their organs. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and so that, that, that's very interesting, but you know, it, it, you do see though, that, um, East Asians are very skinny and they eat very carb rich diets. Do they not? Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's something I was going to say. Yes. The, the Japanese, I think historically have had, uh, very high carb diet, low fat. This is the interesting thing, low fat and quite low protein as well. Uh, and I think that I think that I think that what that is, uh, what, what that illustrates or the, the relative health of the Japanese or the very good health of the Japanese on this diet illustrates the fact that actually it seems to be a combination of high carbs and high fat that makes you really fat. Ah, interesting. So it's not just the carbs. It's the combination. I see. Yes, I think I think it's or at least that 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 that's one suggestion on the basis of of the traditional Japanese diet. But I think I think the traditional Japanese diet is is changing now, sadly. Um, what more more processed stuff? More although food processing, uh, the East Asians sort of pioneered that. You know, you see things like monosodium glutamate. Yeah, um, which uh, you know uh, Chinese food in particular is that's why yeah, it's nightmare full of it. 
yeah. So they, they kind of pioneered food processing, and yet they seem to be relatively healthy. So I think that uh, I, I, I'm very usually skeptical of this kind of, like, you know, uh, people that fixate on one thing yeah, at the sure. expense of the broader context or the other moving parts, right? Mm. So the, yeah, I think, I think mon monocausal explanations are generally to be distrusted. Yeah, you see this a lot with certain libertarian types where they, they think that, like, okay, if you just change this to the gold standard, everything, yeah. you know, so, so on and so on. It's a kind of way of thinking where you focus on a detail and yeah. you, you miss the bigger point. Um, yeah. and, uh, and when it comes to Asians, you see that they're very physically active. They, they, uh, they, they, you know, they ride their bicycles everywhere. Uh, mm. Northern Europeans as well. Um, and um, you, you see that they just have a lot of uh, different aspects of their lifestyle that are uh, superior to, you know, say Americans that that because of the vastness of our country have to drive everywhere and uh, don't get much sunlight and, uh, you know, eat a lot of crap from the microwave and so on. So these things all come together. I think that ultimately, now correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you could... You could if you um, if you eat stuff that's not great, but you uh, are very physically active. Uh, and I and I see this, too, like uh, with, with a lot of people going back to 1950s diets, you know, like and I understand why they do it, you know, like high fat, uh, you know, lots of uh, lots of butter, lots of bacon. I'm sure there are tons of benefits to that. I agree. You also have to understand the changes in. Uh, how the, the the nature of work? Uh, yes. If you're, if you're doing manual labor, going to be uh, needing a lot of those nutrients that perhaps you don't if you're a computer programmer, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think you have to. I think you definitely have to look at the fact that people's, not just people's eating habits, but people's lives. Uh, I mean, the totality of people's lives has changed. You know, tremendously, I think, in 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 a very short period of time, uh, lot, there are lots of things going on. There are lots of lots of things that could be responsible for the observable, for the basic sort of observable facts, like that everybody's fat now, or more or less everybody's fat now. Yeah. More or less everybody has anxiety. Uh, and I think it, one leads to the other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I. I, I I, one of the things that I am um, trying to uh, push back against is this notion that you can have a <laughs> that you can have a healthy mind in an unhealthy body. Uh, I mean, it's 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 so obviously not the case. Well, that that's um, see that is uh when they say stuff like that, like that you can be morbidly obese and uh, still be mentally okay. Uh, th that's not a scientific or even observable truth that's an ideological or political assertion yes uh, exactly the fact yes. that fat positivity is so political is all you need to know about the fact that it lacks any intuitive or even non-intuitive scientific backing um and uh you, you know i think additionally um I, I, I'm personally not someone that may, you know, maybe you disagree. I'm not, I'm personally not someone that, that is like, you know, fixated on how other people look or, you know, uh, I think everyone should just do what they want to do. And I'm not going to judge someone if they're fat or something. I don't care. 
However, there is also uh, a lot of a lot of people who are in that situation are exploited by malevolent social engineers and political actors. Yes. Uh, and their and their self consciousness, their low self esteem, their mm. resentments from from being in that situation, mm. which is you know something you can. It's not like you're disabled or something. You can do something about it. But yes. those resentments are exploited, politicized, and then used against other people socially. Yes, uh, I mean I I think there's something I think there's something very wrong in encouraging people to be fat. Right. Um, you know, because, I, it, that's, because it's yeah. so obviously, it's so obviously, it's so obviously far from, far from from being the best thing a person can be, and in fact, in many ways, it's the it's the worst thing a person could be, because it, um, because it's not it's not just. Uh, I mean, people pretend now with this fat positivity movement that that being fat is basically like it's just a facet of your identity that you wear, like like the color of your like the color of your t-shirt or the you know the way you style your hair and it's and it's not at all i mean it is it is an all-encompassing fact about you that you are that you are you know that you that you have i mean what what does amount in 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 many respects to a disability um yeah and so like people who are people who are, who are sort of pushing fat positivity on children i mean i, mean, I think it is I think it is basically a form of child abuse to allow it or encourage Absolutely. a child to be fat. Absolutely. Well, also, like, you know, uh, there, there is something quite remarkable and, and uh, life-affirming life about, you know, being a man in your 20s and, uh, or a woman in her 20s and, you know, being physically attractive. There is yeah. something, and, 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 you know, any, every, anyone like, like a lot of like uh, you know overweight people could be very physically attractive if they just lost some weight, um, mm. and, and the the simple, um, sim the simple experience of you know having uh, someone that is sexually or physically attracted to you and vice versa is is quite life affirming. It's the the absolute yeah. basic tenet of life, and I'm I'm not saying that. You should, uh, you know, drop everything and become, uh, you know, some kind of Hollywood fag or something like some kind of <laughs> extremely shallow moron either that there is there is an extreme. You know, I don't know if you agree, but the body, the mind and the spirit have to be uh, synchronized. You can't be too far in one direction. And no, 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 no. I mean, I, that, that 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 in that in many respects would be my fundamental criticism of bodybuilding or a bodybuilding yes. As uh, what what bodybuilding has become, that it's 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 totally shallow. And, yes, um, it, it completely misses uh, a lot of important things that mm. come into the development of a man by going too extreme in one direction, turning mm. it into a novelty rather than a uh, sort of lifestyle. And I mean, it is a lifestyle for the people that do it, but you know what I mean. It's like uh, you're, you're you're essentially a a kind of billboard for products rather than um, the actual core depth of the the joy of of being physically strong, you know. There, there's, yes. a, there's a there's a fundamental male. Uh, there's something that that rings in in your head when you are a man, and you can you can be physically strong, you know, and feel yes. like you can defend your family and friends and so on. Um, and uh, 
and I think that for women in particular, I think that a lot of the um, a lot of the resentment you see in so- certain types of women is due to. I mean, I, I would say that it's it's a almost like a domino effect because if you're <clears throat> you know if if you're a fe- if you're a woman who is significantly overweight, um, you know you you might still you know have sexual opportunities but the problem is that a lot of the time the men will not want to wifey you up um and so that kind of situation is uh going to make you mad you're a woman yes you're gonna see all men as gigs they're gonna be all these guys they just want to sleep with me they don't want to take me out for dinner or whatever and um it's gonna it's gonna create a lot of resentment and for men you know um a lot there's some men that you know are are have suffered from this issue and they're just like oh well women fuck them uh, i'm just gonna play video games and so on when oh, they're, they're, you're, you're missing out on a whole a whole world uh of life when you do that so um th- this is a, a very significant social problem and i think that some of the the demonization in liberal society of say uh, collective calisthenics, right? <clears throat> whether it's uh, whatever whatever people's opinions are on this, whether it's the Soviet Union or the Third mm-hmm. Reich, the concept of of people uh, coming together and exercising together, there's something very primally satisfying against it. And uh, and you see, uh, kind of uh, the bourgeoisie who can afford to pay to do this, mm-hmm. you see it with Soul Cycle, right? Stupid crap like Soul Cycle. Where people are, are exercising in tandem together in groups. Well, what do you think is the psychology behind that? Is it just simply the the core of the the warrior uh, instinct, or what? What do you think is the, the the secret to that? Why is it so satisfying to ac- exercise as a group? <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've never. I mean, I have played. I was I was a pretty uh, decent sportsman at, at school and stuff. And I, I played rugby and, and football, soccer. Um, and did athletics and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I've I've always been a bit of a bit of a lone wolf, though. I mean, I when I work out at home, I I work out at home and I work out alone. I got a, a gym here, um, so I'm. I mean, I've 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 been to a couple of CrossFit classes and found them uh, really, as a lot of people do, extremely kind of cultish and and, and bizarre. Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, so I prefer just, to work out alone too, but I've noticed yeah. that in general people. Uh, really go for I me. Mean, the, the, these these kinds of things like CrossFit and uh, mm. Soul Cycle and stuff. These things are ripoffs. Like it's yeah, a lot, Which, lot of money. Yeah. I mean, I do think I do think that, that what people want what people want is a sense of belonging. Yes. And I think it's one of the few areas where people can readily find or easily find a sense of belonging. You know, you're you're part of you're part of the the CrossFit tribe. When you you know you you turn up on a six a.m. on a on a Friday morning to do your kind of bizarre workout of the day. Um, oh yeah, the the CrossFit shit. I mean, I don't know what your opinion on that is, but I don't see it as something good for building muscle. Uh, no, it's it's quite it's quite it's quite funny as well because um, they get. I mean, I think that the elite the elite CrossFit athletes are. Um, I mean, they they are extremely fit, and some yes. of them are ve- some of them are you know they're very they've got very impressive physiques. 
Um, uh, I mean, a lot of them are, are getting popped for drugs now. I think a lot of them do take anabolic substances, as you'd expect. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the the majority of people who who train CrossFit, yes, I mean, it, it's a uh, it's an absolutely yeah, it's it's a it's probably a counterproductive way of of exercising if what you want to do is build muscle. They would be yeah. far, they would be they'd be far better off uh, doing starting strength or just a very basic barbell course, focusing on the fundamentals. Uh, you know, meat meat and potatoes, nothing special, and just sticking with that rather than you know turning up at six a.m. to do a workout which changes every single time they do it. I mean, for for, for one thing, when you do that kind of thing, you never you never build any skill and, and people don't realize that actually what what strength is, is a form of skill. Right. And so, you know, like you, you don't get better at the bench press by doing any anything other than doing the bench press. I mean, there are supplementary exercises that you can do that will make your triceps stronger, you know, for the top portion of the lift or whatever. Um, but fundamentally, you have to do you have to practice the exercises you want to get good at, i.e. strong at. So, um, you know, doing Im- infinite workout of the day variations is not going to, to make you a, is not going to make you a good squatter or a good Olympic lifter or, or anything. I mean, it's just, but I think that those people are just there for the, the comradeship and the fellowship. Yeah. And to, to, to get the badge, to get the badge, you know, and to, to get, but it does show of, you that people are responsive to these kinds of, uh, you know, what, what liberals would criticize as totalitarianism. Uh, people fundamentally crave yes. some aspects of that. Uh, yes. Particularly the fellowship of it. And I think that liberal society works very hard to prevent people from accessing that kind of transcendence that you can only access through collective endeavors. Uh, well, I, th- well I, think, I think what liberal society does is it tells people that, that collective endeav- endeavors ultimately are meaningless. Or even immoral. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, that's the lesson I've gotten my whole life, that anything that where people work together is immoral. Um, yeah. So one thing, I, so I'm going to ask you about um, back to weightlifting. So you tell me your opinion. I, I want to horrify you. So my, my, my philosophy in weightlifting is to lift extremely heavy stuff that is just beyond my range, but not slowly, just – just lifting extremely heavy for say the deadlift for three to five. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I I think there's like a neurological change that happens when you do that versus uh, lifting eight to 12. I found in my own life, in my own Mm. personal experience that if I lift uh, eight to 12, or if I stop just before failure, I'm sure there's some scientific uh, questioning Mm. of this, but if I do that, like I don't really see any results in my weightlifting. Uh, but if I lift extremely heavy, three to five, five, five and six, you know, five to five to seven, maybe reps, mm. uh, I find that I get uh, my body responds to that far more. I mean, is is there something? Uh, is it is it simply up to the individual? Do different bodies respond differently, or is there is there any objective? Uh, do, do, yeah, I think I think different bodies do do respond differently to an extent but it's obviously that's obviously not an absolute i mean i think if you want to get stronger then you have to lift heavy weights there's no you can't you can't play around in the in the 
15 to 30 rep range if you want to have oh, a, if, you, yeah. if you want to have a heavy if you want to have a, a high you know big one rep max like you're not you're not going to get to a 500 pound bench press by by bench pressing 135 for 50 reps um sure. yeah i mean I, I i do see i think that there is a kind of um um in some people there's a a kind of fear of of you know because it is very painful and possibly even mm. dangerous to lift extremely heavy stuff um mm. that's beyond your range um so i think that there might even be a, an element of, of wanting convenience for people that lift in the kind of 12 range and above right they they just yeah yes i mean I, I think i think that a lot of people think that it is dangerous to lift heavy weights and obviously it can be but i don't know that it's it's necessarily i don't think you're necessarily taking your life in your hands every time you do a set of of two or a one rep max or something you have to do it properly but right. um especially the deadlift that, that yes yeah i mean i mean doing doing high rep deadlifts is pretty stupid and that's one of the things that <laughs> i saw at when i went to the crossfit class so when Damn. i went to this cross when i went to this crossfit class we did this workout of the day it was absurd it was um it was a set of i think it was like a set of 10 deadlifts uh then you'd run around the run around the building come back in and, and climb a rope right and I mean, that could be do, good. Do that, that like could be good for eight endurance. Times. Sure. If you're like a soldier and you want to have mm. kind of small endurance muscles, right? That that might be yeah. uh, very good. But uh, if but what was what was strong, what was funny about it was just seeing well, what you get is due to fatigue, you get form breakdown, and there were a couple of, I mean, the weight the weights that we were using were, for the deadlift weren't heavy. It was like between 70 and uh, 110 kilos i think was a uh, but you got a lot of chaps who would who were doing sort of a uh, uh, kind of ego lifting almost and they were like yeah we'll do 110 and then um their form was just it was just appalling and you know it's like there, there are certain movements that you shouldn't do under heavy fatigue and i think the deadlift is very definitely one of them oh definitely. um you know, like you, uh, you, you've got to, you've got to keep your back in the proper position. Unless there's unless there's a hot girl in the gym, then you can uh, deadlift yeah. in horrible form. It's all about how many plates you put on. Well, there's that there's that video <laughs> of um, who is it? One of the Trumps, um, not Eric Trump. Who's the other one? Don uh, Junior. Don Ju yeah, Don Junior doing probably the worst deadlift <laughs> you've ever seen. Like the, the form is just. It's a wonder that his spine didn't snap in in two. Honestly, it's it's so bad. I mean, it's it's reasonably it's a, like a reasonably decent weight. Like I think it's four hundred pounds or something. But um, it's just oh my god, his form. <laughs> well, the thing, the thing with with CrossFit types too is that they always look like they're tweaked out of their minds. Like they're 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 like bouncing off the walls and bouncing up and down yeah. on the pull up bar and shit. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can see the appeal, I guess, in terms of like. Uh, wanting to, to to push your endurance limits and so on uh, what, well, what's your opinion on on uh what what is your opinion on cardio so uh for many years now i am going to tell you about my own experience for many years i just sure. tuned out i just took for granted that doing cardio kills your gains but i've noticed uh you know recently i i, I was out of uh i was out of the gym for a year because it was closed mm. um but um recently i started combining 
uh, some cardio burpees, do 100 burpees a day. Yep. Um, with my uh, weightlifting, <clears throat> I've been doing this for about a month now. And uh, I've noticed that it's actually helped quite a bit with the soreness. Um, yes. I've noticed that my, my, uh, some of my, my more recent, like, uh, muscle memory has come back faster. Yep. Um, so I, what, what do you, what, what, what's, what's your take on the, uh, on the cardio question? Should, should we just, uh, should, should, should true weightlifters simply ride around in a wheelchair, uh, <laughs> pay, pay a Jamaican nurse lady to push them around a wheelchair to the gym and then only use enough uh, cardio strength to walk into the gym and weightlift and then get back in the wheelchair? Or should you combine cardio, uh, in particular high intensity, uh, cardio with your weight training, um, goals? Well, one of, one of the, uh, on this, on this subject, one of the interesting things, um, that I've noted actually is the way that world's strongest man has changed over the decades. So, um, if you look at world's strongest man now, then, it's very much just geared to like lifting insane, insane amounts of weight, you know, like the, the most insane amount you could imagine, the most insane overhead press, you know, log press or something, barrels, whatever. Um, but actually, if you go back and look at World's Strongest Man in the 80s and 90s, then they were actually lifting much more modest weights. And a lot of the a lot of the events that they had to do had a had a like an, an endurance or a cardio aspect so there's a very famous i can't remember which year it was but it was um it was when the world's strongest man was won by john paul sigmason do you know john paul sigmason no he was I, I, the, i've heard of he, him but yes he was a he was a he was a real he was a an icelandic um world's strongest man and like a real showman there was there's a very famous clip of him doing a deadlift doing a thousand pound axle deadlift and he shouts out as he lifts the bar there's uh there's no reason to be alive if you can't do a deadlift um and he used to shout things out like i am a viking and because somebody shouted you're an eskimo at him once and he shouted no i'm a, I'm a viking <laughs> um but anyway one of the years when he won it then um it came right down to the wire to the final e event and uh there was this black chap i can't remember his name but he was he was winning on pure strength alone through the events but then it came down to this final event where the competitors had to run 200 meters carrying i think it was 200 pounds of, of bricks in a hod on their shoulders if you've have you ever seen a hod carrier the way yes. that bricks are bricks are true so they had to run around a, an athletics track carrying 200 pounds of bricks um and so this huge black chap who had been in the lead the whole time on pure strength, just absolutely flatlined. I don't think he even finished, but John Paul Sigmason, who was lighter, but also, I mean, massively strong by, by any, anybody's standards. Um, absolutely. I mean, he ran, he ran the course in an, at an unbelievable speed. Like it, it, it's really something to behold how quickly he got around the course carrying 200 pounds of bricks on his shoulders yeah um, that's impressive yeah and and so so i mean that 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 is the kind of event that you would just never you would just never get in in world's strongest man now i mean I, I suppose the most sort of athletic thing that they do is probably the stones you know where they're running the atlas stones running back and forth to get the atlas stones up onto the 
right. up onto the um, successively uh, higher tiered uh, podium. But um, I mean, the the thing about cardio is that if you look at if you look at the physiques of um, if you look at the physiques of of extreme cardio athletes. And what what you notice is you notice a convergence between male and female towards basically towards asexuality. You know, if you look at marathon runners, then male and female marathon runners are basically asexual. Right? They're, just, they're sticks. Yes. They have no. They basically have. There's no sexual dimorphism. Is is the is the that is like something the, I noticed. Yes. Would yes. be like the scientific term. Whereas, um, which I think is saying something about the nature of extreme cardio. That it that it is actually not very good for you, and that it actually kind of makes you in in a way like not a human. I mean, <laughs> if you look at if you look at the um, cyclist BTFO, yeah, but if you look at like the hist- historical record, I think then it's actually widely agreed that our ancestors didn't run around a lot. Like they didn't when they was tracking prey over long distances, they weren't running. They were walking. Uh, so I think it's I think it's in the nature of a human to be able to walk long distances. Yes. And to be fast over short distances. Right. To be to able sprint. to to be able to sprint powerfully. Yes. Um, so there's a there's a very famous set of footprints in a dry lake bed in Australia that date back. I think they date back twenty thousand years, and they were discovered. I don't know fairly recently. Anyway, uh, the scientists analyzed the footprints and the stride distances and were able to calculate how tall they thought the people were and how fast they were traveling right so these are aboriginals 20,000 years ago hunting hunting uh some kind of giant kangaroo or something <laughs> through a through a shallow lake bed well they, they reckon that one of the men was six foot five and running at a speed that is only slightly slightly slower than Usain Bolt's fastest speed on a track. Wow. And this well, is, this a- is barefoot, barefoot yeah. in the mud. Well, Aborigines are, you know, they have a very unique, uh, mm. like very, very uniquely uh, tenacious or, or, or strong uh, mm. composition, physical composition. Like, you know, they, they can walk barefoot in the outback. Yeah, uh, they they don't feel heat and cold like Europeans mm. do. Um, you know, fortunately, there's <laughs> uh, sometimes you may evolve too much physically, not <laughs> get too yeah. much mentally. Well, there's, but, a, there's a <laughs> but, uh, um, they they are impressive a, in that sense, though. They are busy. There's a there's a picture there's a picture that I have tweeted out a couple of times, and um, uh, I think is on my Instagram account as well. That was taken in 1898 of. Uh, aboriginals as they were um on an i on an island called bat i think it's bathurst island which i think is just off the coast of northern australia um and it's three aboriginal men lined up um and i mean their 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 physiques would put most modern gym girls to shame i mean seriously like they they are absolutely they're ripped even even chips like if you ever shave uh, a gorilla (laughs) <laughs> very very yeah. uh you know a shaved gorilla is insane like it's yeah. insane how muscular they are yeah a, a lot but, of shaved but, animals but shaved gorillas like compare that to a shaved bear and it's just sad yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but a shaved gorilla is like fucking ripped. Absolutely but this, ripped. But the interesting thing about this picture as well is that the man in the middle of the of the the the, the middle um, Aboriginal is probably in his sixties or seventies, and he is the most ripped of all. He's like wow. an absolutely shredded granddad. Um, uh, I mean, and the other the other thing about cardio as well is that people will say, well, oh, what about uh, what about marathon? What about the first marathon? You know, when the right. the Greek the Greek runner ran back to to Athens to warn the Greeks about the to warn the government about the um, impending Persian invasion. But the part of the story that people forget with that is that the runner then died. So he ran the 27 miles and then died. Um, so I, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would, I would say that I would say that you are better off doing things like sprints. I mean, look, look at a phys- look at the physique of a sprinter by comparison with the physique of a marathon runner. So right. do, do sprints and, and shorter distances. I mean, practice your mile see see how see how fast you can run a mile right um uh i mean it's obviously a good thing to have you know a cardiovascular fitness but but it definitely. can be it can be taken too far and, and it definitely or even running was, up you know when i when i lived in new york city and i had to live in a in a tiny little shitty apartment yeah uh, i would just be forced to run up and down the stairs uh <laughs> Uh, and so uh, that I feel is also a good kind of because it, it mimics, you know, running up a mountain or something. Or... Yeah, I mean, hill sprints are hill sprints are great. Hill sprints are really good. I I, I do hill sprints, and they're good because what they do is they they prevent you from sprinting at full speed, so they're safer. Because a lot of the, a lot a lot of people will injure themselves if they're training sprinting on flat surface because they probably won't be warmed up. Uh, well enough so if you're sprinting up a hill you can't run at full speed it also i think because of the fact that you're running up a hill it it forces you to um to adopt the proper mechanics for sprinting uh it forces you to lean forward right uh among other things and uh yeah so I, i would i would definitely recommend hill sprints and the thing about sprints and hill sprints is that you can you can very easily train them along the lines of you can you can use the same kind of template that you would use for weightlifting or weight training, uh, you know, where you do like sets, sets of X number of sets. You right. can increase you can increase the difficulty by increasing the distance or you can increase the difficulty by wearing a weight vest. Yes, um, yes. Or a book bag. And that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's it's kind of. um like training to run long distances is bloody boring. Oh, you know, like if you if you have to if you have to run ten miles regularly, I, I went through a period when I was in my in my teenage years where I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be like a special forces soldier, and so I, I got really heavily into into running. And I went through a period. It was probably only like a uh, probably only lasted about a month, but I was running ten to twelve miles a day, five days a week, wow. and it was just yeah, it was so so miserable. Right, and and also like you just feel run down. No, no yeah. pun intended. Uh, mm. you, you feel quite. Yeah, I, I I remember when um when I was working uh, on a many many years ago working uh, construction, just 
going up and down several flights of stairs for eight hours. And uh, yeah. you just feel absolutely miserable. So, yeah, I, I totally see. I think, like, everything, you need to balance it. Um, but, yeah, I, I found that burpees are a very uh, good exercise. It's kind of like a CrossFit exercise. But I found that um, it's great just to get your heart rate up, you know? Yes. Just getting your heart rate up is 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 really all you need. Um, and then doing it, like you said, in sets. You, do, you know, get, get your heart rate up, it goes down, then get back up, so on and so on. Um, so that's, I think, what I, if I had to recommend uh, cardio, I would recommend either what you're saying. If you have the opportunity, if you live in a place mm. that have lots of hills and stuff, try and do sprinting, uh, even if you look like a crazy person doing them. Um, yep. And uh, if you don't have that, you know, if you live in a, in a situation where you don't have much to, to do outside, then... Uh, Maybe do uh, burpees and so on. Oh, that's yeah. something I've found to be uh, good for a hit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can you can use the kind of CrossFit, the sort of CrossFit template of uh, of uh, doing rounds of exercises back to back with no rest. That that is that is a that is a good way to get a to get an exercise into a short period of time. Just just realize that doing that will not. You're not going to build big muscles doing that. Right. I, I also like a lot of different kinds of boxing uh, exercises. Mm. For, you know, that, that uh, um, th those really get you into shape. And uh, I found, uh, you know, when I used to do boxing, I used to, um, I found that uh, one thing that really, this is kind of a side note, but one thing that really builds power in your punch is uh, kind of uh, uh, the, the rear delt which is the most neglected yes. muscle in your shoulder, the, the rear delt, when you build up your rear delt, which is admittedly uh, not easy, um, when you build that up, you will have a, 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 that more than anything will help your punch, I've found. So, yeah, lots of stuff going on there. So, anyway, uh, we're running up on uh, the last few minutes of this, so uh, just uh, plug your stuff. Where can people find your your materials and so on? Okay, so um, uh, yeah, so I have a hard, two well, two hardcover books available from Antelope Hill, antelopehillpublishing.com. So I've got the Raw Egg Nationalism Cookbook, which is uh, an amazing glossy uh, coffee table book full of uh, raw egg recipes and other recipes besides, and uh, large amounts of um, sort of discussion of the philosophy of raw egg nationalism and of uh red pilled nutrition in general uh it's uh it's an ideal it's an ideal present actually for i, I designed it in such a way as to be a, a kind of ideal present for normies so you could it's the kind of book you could see on any coffee table anywhere um uh wouldn't look out of place in a really you know, really stylish home on a coffee table and then you open it up but oh, what's this and there, there they are all these all these uh, sort of uh dietary red pills you can start uh using it to infiltrate uh red pills into nutritional red pills into and political red pills into, into the, people's food <laughs> into people's yeah yeah you could start putting <laughs> putting the pills in the people you can do your, do your own little uh cosby impression um, the people's square meal <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and then uh there's the man's world annual which is 
the first hardcover annual, like a sort of classic Playboy annual for my magazine, Man's World, which has now reached five issues. Um, uh, again, that's available from Antelope Hill Publishing. Uh, it's got all the best uh, articles from the first four issues of the magazine. It's got Bronze Age Pervert, articles by myself and many other people, uh, hilarious uh, fake adverts and all sorts of other stuff, amazing aesthetics. Again, something that you could put on somebody's coffee table, uh, infiltrate into uh, the normie sphere. If you're interested in the magazine, then go to my, I did have a Linktree page, but they took it down for some reason. It was too based for Linktree. So now yeah, I have a link. everyone's Linktrees down. How petty. <laughs> so now I have a link.bio page. So it's lnk.bio slash nationalist. And that has links to, to all of my, all of my, uh, everything about me, my, all my podcast appearances. So my appearances on Infowars, uh, Nor Bin Laden's podcast, and then it's got a link to Antelope Hill, uh, so you can buy the hardbacks. It's got a link to my Amazon author page, so you can buy my paperbacks, because I've got three paperback books on there as well. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's it. And uh, uh, and my Twitter page is babygravy9. It's a oh. slightly unfortunate, slightly unfortunate <laughs> um, handle, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've stuck with it. Uh so that's great. Uh, thanks for coming on, Raw Ag Nationalists. I definitely it was a pleasure. Check out his stuff. Um, chance to get. So, uh, all right. I think we're all, we're done here, boys. Okay. And I think uh, just for the transition here, we should be going live right now, right after I say all this, to be doing uh, donations that we have. Thank you very much. That was a that was a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. I'm back. I don't know. Where Striker is, he's running on Striker time. He should be here momentarily. So let me just get all this stuff set up here. Actually, I forgot to get my outro music up too. So how's everyone doing tonight? Hope we got some good information out of that. Yeah, come on, Striker, hop on. <laughs> don't leave me. Don't don't make me entertain these people. I've had a long day. I don't need to add to this. Alrighty. Um, so let's see what we got. Some good donations in here. Bring back, uh, I am bringing back the pause button. I'm recording an episode tomorrow with... Uh, let's see here. With, with Kegs, Nikkei, and Lewis from NIGR, the National Institute for, for Game Review. Uh, we're doing an episode on Boy State. After that, on the docket... Uh, have... Oh, there you are. Can you hear me? Hey, yes. I on my uh on my laptop. Speak up. Let's see, hold on a second. Am I on my uh, microphone or my laptop right? Now? Um, it sounds fine. Whatever you're on. Seems okay Sometimes it's a it defaults to the uh, one second. Let me just make sure. Okay, that's fine. I we're just don't worry about it. People are you people are used to us doing this uh doing this thing a lot, and they you know kind of like fixing things on the fly live. Yeah. So nothing yeah. nothing nobody's not used to already. Yeah, so so what were your thoughts on the uh on the discussion, I guess? Uh I didn't really listen to it cuz I, <laughs> <laughs> ah. I I was uh, I was taking care of my son this morning when we were recording it and then uh, I was taking care of my son again and and, and also the dishes when uh when we were streaming it, but I mean I've been uh, going uh, through I've been uh, going through his book um 
I'm going to start doing some of the recipes in the Rog Nationals and book. And I had read some of the Man's World stuff before because yeah. the Antelope Hill way back in the first issue did an advertisement for Culture Grugs in the, in the book. So I, uh, it was nice to get hardcover. I, I, cause I had read this stuff digitally online before. So it was nice to get, I have the, the hardcover copies of them now. So, um, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the Chad comparing muscles. I mean, no, the virgin, uh, single, uh, or, uh, childless men comparing muscles versus the Chad father. That's the, uh, <laughs> you simply don't have time for that. Oh, well, I mean, I could, I could, uh, I could definitely, uh, need to do a little bit better myself but uh what i what i do find you know the lifestyle and it kind of i don't like to use this term because it almost seems like it's dismissive because i do think this stuff's important but you know call it lifestyleism for lack of a better term the lifestyleism aspect of a lot of different stuff has always been a a gateway to uh politics because to right-wing politics because especially what the third positionist and you know fascist national socialist whatever term you want to use i think we're off off the air are we yeah did it uh i don't think we are it could be odyssey uh Uh, yeah it doesn't seem to be running are you sure i'm showing that we're live right now no yeah oh Okay. I'm getting mixed stuff in the chat here. Now you're live. F, it's good. Um, I no, I'm not. I'm I'm off. I, I'm checking right now. We're not live. Okay, we're live now. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, Never mind. Anyways, what I was saying is that this stuff yeah. has basically been because it, like, our politics are a holistic life view. So it's obviously like living well is going to be integral to that. We're 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 more than the, just viewing human beings as like an economic unit or some such other nonsense so the stuff is uh, they've always been trying to like either control this aspect or downplay this aspect our enemies because you teach people to eat well and they're going to be interested in in other ways of how to live well and how to be well politically yeah i mean i i'm i'm a person that is uh not very i don't want to be dismissive but i'm not very neurotic about things like that like food and stuff like I, I find that that could be its own problem if you take it to an extreme oh yeah uh, you can you can take with you that can, you can easily get way too like you, you can almost get like bug manish about this kind of stuff as well you do see yeah aspects of that uh if you start getting too paranoid like oh this has canola oil in it now i can't eat it and uh you know that that type of stuff if you start getting too paranoid about it i gotta i gotta like, drop a canola oil in my body now i am gay yeah, exactly. You start freaking out about, uh, oh, this has a little bit of soy in it and stuff. You know, you, you, every everything, everything in moderation, including, uh, you know, health stuff. So that that's my my perspective on that. Um, but no, I, I enjoy I enjoyed the interview. I think the book is very interesting. Um, it's uh, mostly foods I like. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, if you're a vegetarian or something, it might not be up your alley, if, but, uh, um, yeah, let's get to the questions. Okay. We have a few. Uh, so Tam had donated his usual $14 and 88 cents. You know, you can, Thank you. you know, I, I, mean, I guess Tam, Tam just likes to be like the silent supporter. He doesn't have anything to say. The just... silent partner. Yes. <laughs> Those are always the best. The guys that give you a fucking... A uh, thousand-word essay on what you should be doing and how you should be doing it, 
they give you a uh, 14.88 in library coin. But good old Tam, he just wants to support the cause. Thank you, Tam. Yes, yeah. The, well, the, 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 the virgin, here's my my manifesto in one library coin versus the Chad. <laughs> the Chad, $14.88 and no message. Yes, indeed. And there is an averted relationship between that two, by the way. Um, and people think, uh, um, again, we appreciate all, but uh, Tam is most reliable of all every single episode. So thank you, Tam. So $25 from Hans Hans Ensen. How do you like your steak, Striker? Um, this might not be so popular, uh, usually medium. Or if I'm out somewhere and it's not um, a place I trust medium well. He says anything so. other than rare is wrong. <laughs> I, I've seen that. Uh, I don't agree. I actually prefer steak to be a little, a little, uh, a little more cooked. But yes, you should have some pink in the uh, yeah. of a decent steak. That's what I mean. Uh, that's what. That's what I'm. That's what I quit racism. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm. I'm a medium guy as well. I'll do medium yeah. rare sometimes, and and on, I guess even on a rare occasion I will do a rare, but eh, just cook it a little bit for me. It's okay. Well, I've seen um, I I've seen things recently where people that um are like foodies they always they always take their steak very rare, uh, but I just don't enjoy it. <laughs> I just don't. So uh, yeah, medium's good, and, and there's something uh, kind of um satisfying with uh hamburgers especially when they're not overdone but uh you know a little more on the well done side than not um i I don't i really don't like rare hamburger i do enjoy on on occasion like a a nice bloody hamburger there's there's just something about how juicy that is yeah i can see the appeal but uh yeah anyway uh yeah someone's talking about the cooks yeah i i when I was in New York City not long ago, I got a steak sandwich and I got it, um, you know, on the rare side, and uh, I got really sick. So I learned my lesson with that. But anyway, okay, uh, I'll just do it in the middle of something. I it's clicked away. Uh, five library coins from uh, these German names. Das Nicht I've noticed some sites that claim to give you a genetic profile on what your diet should be. What's your opinion on that? Take it with a grain of salt. Um, I think that kind of stuff is very reductionist. And, um, you know, the only person who can tell you what you should be eating is you. You know your body better than anyone else. So uh, I would say that if if you find that you, you can't digest certain foods or something very well, then just change your diet and, and use trial and error. Isn't that why Don't, isn't that why uh, Hitler became a vegetarian? Because it just he had a lot of digestive issues, and it just he had, yeah he moved to to a largely vegetarian diet because it was just easier on him. I think he had ulcers or something. Yeah, yeah, it would make and, sense. Uh, and he used to eat a lot of raviolis and stuff uh, instead of uh, meat, and it wasn't really. Some people read into that. Hitler did like animals, but he didn't have like a, some kind of uh, you know. It wasn't necessarily for ethical reasons. Yeah, I don't think he was a pita vegetarian. No, no, no. It was mostly because he just found out through trial and error that if he didn't stay away from meat, that uh, he wouldn't get, uh, you know, his ulcer wouldn't act up or something like that. I'm not too familiar with with that aspect of Hitler. Yeah. Uh, TBS, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, I'm 
this is three library coins. I'm low right, high metabolism, and I'm trying to bulk. Low weight? Is that low oh, weight? Maybe that's, yeah. So, see, there's, this is, there's a lot of typos here. I'm low weight, high metabolism, and I'm trying to bulk. My dietitian is telling me to go full con carnivore ketosis. Is this a good match for me? Thanks, HH. Well, if you go into ketosis, you're going to be losing weight, basically, <laughs> unless you're eating a lot. It's very hard to get a lot of calories in if you're just eating meat, um, surprisingly, unless you're eating a lot of processed stuff. The reason why the key, I mean, like, there's there's a scientific aspect to it and all that stuff. Like, I mean, you, you can get really, like, autistic and, and big into this. But, fun, like, basically the, the principle behind why you lose weight on something like keto or something is just because you're eating because you're you're moving more towards fat and protein and you can only eat so much of that before you start to feel sick and don't want to eat anymore you know i i i also have to question because i've known guys that um that i used to go to the gym with many years ago and there always be there's always going to be one guy that says and could be true that um my metabolism is too high i can't and uh, when i was younger i thought that was true for me as well I would eat, uh, you know, when I was in my, my teen, teenage years or early 20s, I could eat uh, 12 donuts and not gain any weight at all. And I used to think I was a hard gainer and so on. But uh, what, what you find out is that um, you're actually not eating that many calories uh, in a lot of cases. So um, if you eat a lot of, uh, you assume that if you eat a lot of junk food, that you should be obese, but you have to keep in mind that you might just be eating 1,500 calories and it's just of junk food. Um, so I would keep that in mind as well. And, um, you know, again, everyone's body's different, but um, I also take dietitians with a grain of salt. Again, I give the same advice to you is trial and error. Try to eat different things, maybe try to eat more. You know, some people have different different kinds of appetites um so i i understand and don't don't force feed yourself either i see some guys that are they they think they're hard gainers they they start uh force feeding themselves and they you know they feel miserable um so it could also be something in your in your um in your weightlifting routine that isn't correct you know like you might not be lifting enough or um you may uh they benefit from a uh, sort of a, a different type of, um, of regiment. Uh, you might be doing too much cardio, something like that. I mean, that that's just my advice. Don't take it because I really don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that's just my guess on that. I, I think explore other things before just writing yourself off as a hard gainer or person with a high metabolism that can't gain. Um, muscle. That's what I would say. Definitely go with uh, two multivitamins and 36 hard-boiled eggs and only that. Yeah, that was crazy what that guy was telling me. <laughs> Just imagine 30, 36 raw eggs every single day. As a, and, and that was his version of taking steroids. Very interesting. I mean, I, I, I can't really wrap my mind around eating that many <laughs> that many eggs. But um, might be interesting to, to see what happens if you do that. You know? if you ever, have you ever uh, seen? You probably haven't. There, I was, I, so I'm referencing a, a famous oh, fit. 
uh, are from the uh, from the Fitizen board on uh, 4chan of uh, what's the lowest calorie diet you've ever had while cutting fit? I'm currently on a 650 calorie diet. Has anyone attempted to go lower than that? Am I insane for going this low to begin with? And then the replies were, "Enjoy your Auschwitz mode." I assume you don't care about strength or muscles. Then that's fine if your goal is to be, "Do you even lift?" I'm still getting 130 grams of protein each day. That means you get 520 uh, k calories from protein in a diet of 650 k calories. What the fuck are you eating? Two multivitamins and 30, 36 days. <laughs> <laughs> Still one of my favorite, still one of my favorite four yeah. posts of all time. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very, uh, very skeptical about kind of yo-yo diets, like um, eating a lot and then you know not eating at all, and so on and so on. I'm more for just eating when you're hungry um, and lifting very heavy weights. That usually has worked out for me, but um, I don't know. I I, I think that um, you, you you're kind of abusing your body when you do that. In my opinion. I mean, I don't. Again, I, I'm not I'm not a food scientist or a dietitian or anything, but it seems like like an abuse of your body to be gaining twenty pounds and then losing thirty pounds and so on and so on. It seemed to be something that that um, definitely doesn't appeal to me. But um, I understand that people disagree. The power to them. Okay, we got a couple yeah. of entropy donations as well. Uh, Johnny Javelin donates $15. Throwing some greens on the plate for you. Caught your interview on Politically Provoked with that intelligent, buxom Brittany. Amazing. You're the only white advocate with swag. Hail Striker. And then, oh, fist bump thank NYC. You, oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, I need to catch that. How did that go? It sounds like it went really well. It was a good interview. Um, it was um, it was interesting. Basically, they just let me talk, and I uh, just gave gave my my worldview and uh, told them exactly what I believe. I don't pull any punches or uh, hide any of my beliefs, and they seem to appreciate it. It was a good time. Uh, I basically this is going to be the reason I I went on is because this is going to be the platform that uh, agreed to host the Holocaust debate. Yeah, I saw them in our comments. I'm glad that we were able to get that set up. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, I was just also kind of trying to feel them out and make sure that there, there's no, like, tricks or anything. Because uh, oftentimes, you know, for example, the last platform we agreed on, uh, it later came out that the person hosting it was, you know, really hostile to me and Mike. And the only reason that we uh, found this out is because the other side took a year to find the supposed smoking gun that proves the Holocaust. And during that time period, this, this guy was like insulting me and Mike. And so I he was supposed to be the host slash moderator for the debate. So it's good to have a much more neutral platform, which is what uh, politically provoked seems to be. That's also um, why it's good to, dra- to actually kind of to drag that stuff out just a little bit, because these people, when they're trying to pull a fast one on you, if, if you if you give it enough time, they eventually reveal who they really are, because they can't help. Maya them. Angelou help says, <laughs> just like Maya Angelou says. But yeah, and and an issue like that too, people have a lot at stake. It's very politically charged, so you you have to really make sure you have a neutral platform, because they 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 can't let us win. 
right? Most people understand the ramifications of debunking the Holocaust. So you're going to have to be on the lookout for, you know, dirty tricks and so on. Um, Oh, yeah, someone said, Tam says, Matthew Cockrell, since Avi isn't debating anymore. Yeah, so... Avi, uh, Avi, Avi, whatever the fuck his name is, um, he, he was, um, he contributed this, like, forensic report, which is not worth, uh, the paper it's printed on, and, um, he contributed that to the debate, so I'm sure Matthew Cockrell will, uh, bring that up. Um, Mike took five minutes to, to rip that stupid forensic report do-it-yourself forensic report that uh, Avi contributed. So uh, there's that. But, uh, yeah, Matthew Cockrell agreed to debate Mike and myself on this topic. Um, So uh, I don't know if Avi changes his mind. I'd be happy to debate him, too. But he's really adamant about not doing it. And my my guess for why is here's the difference. Matthew Cockrell is a Gentile. Avi is a Jew. And my belief, my firm and sincere belief, is that Jewish people know the Holocaust didn't happen. And so Avi assumed that me and Mike would be these two kind of meme deniers that would talk about, you know, wooden doors and not really know much beyond that, not know much about, um, you know, the, the, the forensics and the, the issues with um, the documents that they have and so on, which we know quite a bit about. And so once Avi saw that, you know, we saw once they saw that we know all of the points they're going to make and we have compelling answers for them. Avi's like, you know what? Fuck this. They're going to win because Avi knows the Holocaust is fake. While Matthew, who's a naive Gentile, I think sincerely believes it's real or is convinced it's real and just doesn't want to accept the evidence. So, um, it's going to be an interesting discussion. Okay, and we have one more donation on entropy. Uh, PH74 donates $50, and he says, The Rosetto effect is pretty interesting, an indication that cohesive communities re- may result in better-than-average health outcomes despite what might be considered a not-so-great diet. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and see things like, you know, People that live in cities, say neighborhoods, they, they walk around more and so on. People that live in these kinds kind of isolated rural areas or in the, in the suburbs, especially now that people don't really work rural jobs, but they live in rural areas, they don't get much physical exercise. Um, so that's something. But uh, uh, in general, you know, again, like I said in the interview, the mind, the body and the soul are one and the same. And uh if your mind isn't there, and I'll tell you this from, from my own experience, I talked about this yesterday, was uh, when I was really grinding on uh, national hyphen justice, like working 70, 80 hours a week on it. Uh, it was purely with my mind. Like, I never understood. I was talking to someone else about this. Like, I never understood why pretty much every writer is, like, some kind of, like, really unhealthy, depressed, drunk, you know, ends up committing suicide. That's very common among writers. And I've always wondered, like, what could be so bad about sitting around and 
writing all day. And uh, once you do it, once you really start uh, grinding and pushing yourself to keep the website updated every day with new content, new uh, uh, doing these investigations and so on, uh, it really wears you down. I've never been as unhealthy feeling, as sickly feeling as I have been since early 2020. Later 2019 to early 2020 to, to very recently. When I wrote the, the new material for Culture Grubs, because two-thirds of the material I had already written before over the course of a few years. So when, when I was writing the last, like, uh, I can't remember, it was like 25,000 to 30,000 words, what, however, whatever the length was uh, oh. for it. And I had to basically knock that out in about, I think I did about four to six weeks. Yeah, I don't remember writing most of that now. <laughs> like, I, have, I have no, I have very little memory of that, of that time period. Yes. Yes, because I, I'm a person that when I get in the zone, I don't stop until the project is seen to the end. Uh, it doesn't seem that way. People think that uh, I'm, I'm, you know, irresponsible or something. And I am in many regards. But when it comes to getting something like work done, uh, if I have something to do, then uh, I always make sure I see it to the end, uh, even if I have to be up 20, 24 hours straight. Um, but the thing is, if you do that repeatedly for years, it eventually catches up to you. Um, so, you know, ever since I took a break from doing that, that level of, uh, of producing that level of work, I've, I've felt a, a lot better physically. I've gotten back into fitness uh, or weightlifting and um, I've cut down on smoking quite a bit and uh, I just feel better in general. So, you know, again, you, you, you have to take care of all three aspects of yourself in order to thrive. All of them are interrelated. So um, that, that's just the advice I'd give people. Audio productions, actually, and like podcasting can be the same way, especially if you're working a lot on the production side of things. Oh, Cause I was, fuck cause yeah. Because I, I was podcasting so much for so long. I, I really I, I burned him I burned myself out really badly and I could see my quality was actually really beginning to suffer. So when I had the kid, I was like, all right, this is a good opportunity for me to kind of step away for a while. Uh, but, well, I, I yeah. look at someone like uh, like Mike who does five shows a week, <clears throat> and uh, you know that's really impressive um, how he's able to do that and just keep that rate and also always have something fresh and original to say. You know, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember when we were doing the People's Square twice a week. Oh, my God. Uh, I, was, I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown by the time that we got Frank on board to help out because <laughs> the, the, tech, the yeah. tech side of it was giving me – I was on the verge of having an aneurysm. Yeah, I don't remember. Usually I remember there was, there was like a full year where I would do two episodes of the People's Square – Striking Mike, and then usually one or two extra shows during the week. Ah, the David Duke show on Thursdays, two episodes of The People's Square, Striking Mike, and then usually like an extra interview or something. And, um, you know, looking back on that, that's a lot of, of work. That's a lot of content to talk about. So usually what would happen is by the time we got to Friday, we were just like out of things to talk about. <laughs> Well, there was, that's and the funny thing is though that's where some of the classic episodes came from because right. by, by the time Friday would hit, you and I were both burned out, and if we didn't have a guest, we're like, well, what do we talk about? 
Right. So what would happen is that on Tuesday, when I'm nice and fresh, I'll have like, oh, let's talk about this uh, obscure history book. Uh, and then we'll have an extremely in-depth and intellectual conversation with Mike about it. Then uh, Thursday comes, I talk to David Duke. And then Thursday night, we have a guest that's very productive conversation. By Friday, we're talking about motherfucking ship, fish pussy. Yeah. Uh, that That's just... <laughs> <laughs> that was a hard scare. Yeah, that, um, that basically was. Oh, speaking of like obscure or like history history books, you guys got me to get a copy of Stalin's War. I'm really enjoying it so far. It's very well written. That's the thing um, that struck me because some history books can be really dry. It is an it is an exhilarating read. Um, McKean, what was it? I can't remember his name. Sean. We'll just call him Sean. Sean, Sean McMeekin. Yes. McMeekin. McMeekin knows how to put a how knows how to not linger on a point too long. Like he he gets you very the direct. Bullet point. Yes. Yeah, he gives you the bullet points, but get like it's not in a superficial way. It's uh you you get all the information you need, and then he moves on as he's building the narrative. It's really good. I'm really enjoying it. I, I think that also um, he's not afraid to just say it like uh, there are parts where he's talking about the Nazis. We talked about this yesterday. The Nazis shooting commissars. Uh, he just says, like, yeah, most of the commissars are Jewish. He just says it. <laughs> I mean, you're not you're you're not supposed to you're supposed to hint at it, but not just outright say it. So you can tell that he's a guy who's very direct, very concise. Um, and That's that how I'm makes used to reading these books, reading between writing. the lines. Yes, it's but it makes for excellent writing when you are very concise and direct. Um, and so, uh, quite a pleasure. Yes, you're right that a lot of history books are extremely boring to read, but this book is very interesting, and it's frankly kind of a surprise that they would publish such a thing. But he has a very long track record and a very large library. Um, He's written about World War One, the Bolshevik Revolution. I believe he has one about the Ottomans. I could be mixing. Yes, them up he does. In fact, because I I, I, yes. I put every single one of his books on my uh, on my wish oh. list. Oh, <laughs> when, when I was uh, okay. because I I'm I I <clears throat> excuse me now I'm uh, stuttering again. But mid the 20th century has been one. I suggest that we do a episode on the fall of the Ottoman Empire. Because uh, I think it's really very much in their wheelhouse, but I've read so many books on the Ottomans that I can't I can't collate all that information. There's just too much information in my head on that stuff. And then I saw the book that McMeekin wrote on it, and it covers exactly the time period that I wanted to cover. So I'm gonna read that book and then suggest to the Myth guys that this that we do the uh, Ottoman episode based off that book because I'm sure it's gonna be really good. People, people on the outside don't know this, but out of all the um, um, out of all the disciplines in the liberal arts, history is generally the least paused. Um, you can still find some very good history books being published even now. Um, and so the expectation that you ha that you have to go to primary sources as much as possible, and you can tell right, you, you can always tell like the 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 popular history books are not very academic because they don't do no. that kind of stuff and they're kind of looked down upon among people who do actual history right right but if you read a good academic history book you will be informed like they do stick to the science of the the historical method now 
with that said, if you touch certain topics, you will get nothing but politics. But even then, you can find dissenting opinions uh, in various things. The only one where you can't really find that is in specifically Holocaust stuff. So what I mean by that is not World War II. Like, there actually have been a ton of books questioning the moral righteousness of the Allies in the Second World War. Thinking of uh, a recent book about Churchill, I, the, the name escapes me, but I saw that recently. It was very, it pissed off all of the British conservatives. Um, and then, of course, Peter Hitchens has a book about um, basically Britain being the bad guy. World oh, I've read, yeah, I've read that one. The phony, um, the phony victory was phony, it? Phony victory, yes. Yeah, I read that one recently. Um, and 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 so on and so on. And of course, if you delve into revisionist stuff, I mean, you want to get autistic, get Carlo Matano stuff. As Mike has said, Carlo Matano, who's a Holocaust revisionist, is the most prolific Holocaust scholar in the world. He is the the the, the world's eminent Holocaust scholar. And he says it's fake. I mean, if we're going to use simple production and uh, how much he knows and writes about it, Tanyo is unmatched. There is no mainstream hoaxer that can match Matanyo's body of work or debunk it. I mean, uh, me and Mike were talking about uh, on Strike and Mike uh, this like blog or something. It, it's it, it it looks like a kind of grassroots like. I'm going to fight the Nazis because it's the right thing to do. But it's obvious that they have, you know, someone behind them. Um, but either way, they tried to, like, debunk Carlo Matano, And it was just full of, of false sourcing or missourcing, like, just embarrassing mistakes that I don't think are mistakes. I think they do it on purpose. Uh, either that or they just don't care. But, uh, you know... The, the thing is, like, if you want to read something that's more entertaining, McMeekin is unmatched. Uh, Mike Enoch had it, and I think this is a good question here. What's Carlo's best book? Well, it's not, like, his best book, like, he doesn't, like, write, you know, it's not, like, which which is the best Harry Potter book. It's, like, <laughs> he, he writes... He doesn't have he Harry doesn't Potter have the a, gas chamber of secrets. <laughs> Harry Potter, <laughs> Harry Potter and how the Nazis kept the gas chamber secret. Right? <laughs> but um, no, he doesn't he doesn't have a best book. He goes through every camp and every and every claim and then dedicates a whole fucking book to it. He has entire books dedicated to uh, uh, just like each camp that's accused of being a homicidal camp. Um, so, you know, don't, don't read it for enter. These are really, uh, long and, um, you know, Mike, it, Mike has a lot of patience. He really loves the, the details of the forensics and stuff. My eyes glaze with that stuff. Uh, I'm more interested in historical method and the question of, uh, documents and sources. That's more of my thing. Mike is very interested in kind of the chemistry, um, the um, cremation methods and so on. Carl Matanya writes quite a bit about that. So, um, yeah. The other reason anyway. why... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Finish. Oh, no, go ahead. 
I was gonna say the other reason why I was um kind of just about McMe- uh, McMeekin's uh, book on the Ottomans. The other reason why I really want to read it as well is because since I'm probably in this sphere, the guy who's most obsessed with this empire, I own a lot of books on the Ottoman Empire, and about half of them are written by Jews, and I've always found that very interesting. <laughs> no, it, it's kind of obvious when you think about it because either they're trying to paint a rosier picture of the Ottoman Empire as like this multicultural empire, you get you get a lot of hagiography actually about the Ottoman Empire, or at least a lot of running cover right. for it. Oh, um, they love that. Yeah. They love to paint the Ottoman Empire. They love to paint Ottoman Thessaloniki as like the New York of its time or yep. something. Which was half yeah. oh, like all these different percent of the population of that city was Jewish. But uh, well, not just that. You know what? They're kind of right in a sense. The the uh, the European cities of the Ottoman Empire were a lot like the system is now because the white majorities were fucking oppressed third class of citizens. Yep. That's what they haven't caught. That's what Jews love about it. So oh, much. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's that, I mean, that whites were not second, but third class citizens. Yeah. The Ottoman Empire was. And that's the other thing you'll read in these books, these Ottoman Empire books that are written by Jews is how good the Ottoman Empire was. To Jews and, right. and welcoming them in. Another aspect that I think the reason why they covered is because they want to, since the fall of the Ottoman Empire leads to the creation of, of the Palestinian Mandate, which of course then leads to Israel, they have a vested interest in kind of controlling what kind of history is known about that territory when it was once under Ottoman control. Right, right, exactly. So that's why I'm kind of so, curious to see what McMeekin writes about it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. But um, we have a couple more donations that we can get get out of here. We had some late donations come in. Our uh, our Dominican friend uh, Junta uh, Monomari uh, sends in five dollars. Do you know the most common interracial couple in the United States isn't white male and Asian female, but white male and Hispanic female? If you live in the Orient and watch Occidental media, you would think all relationships are black male and white female. Yeah, well, if you live in America and you watch media. Yeah. <laughs> I, I challenge people sometimes, if you happen to be have a TV in front of you, watch a block of commercials and count the amount of white couples you will see in the commercials. You just don't see white people in commercials, period. I know, it's amazing. Like when you, it's, just, it, it's just so stunning how, much, how in your face it is now. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this is just a kind of a joke donation here, but our last donation is uh, $1 from Lord Aragorn, Escape from Voldemort's Camp. I mean, I, I, uh, if, if I wasn't, if, if I had gotten a little more sleep, I would just sit here and do Harry Potter puns all day long. <laughs> well, what, one thing, uh, uh, so because Sugar Ray Listener 1488 says in the chat, if you watch TV, you, you would think this country was like 70% black. I remember when I, I once talked to a, a south uh, an african from south africa uh, yeah once, and this person was flabbergasted when i told them that not only are black people not the majority of the united states they're not even the largest minority in the in the united states right they, they couldn't well they, they were they were certain that the united states was was basically like a 70 percent black country they thought it was just like south africa it is bizarre that, you know, because there are minorities that are larger than blacks. Like, blacks are 12%. Asians are coming up. You got Mexicans. 
have uh, there are many different groups in America, and yet the to be fair, Mexicans and Asians don't really have they they, they don't have any representation in the media. Um, yeah, I know that sounds like a like a woke talking point, but it, it stands that you know it's not that there's too many whites in the media; there's just too many blacks. Like, um, they're they're just insinuated into everything. Where did they like, find all just, these blacks, man? It's just like yeah, they get they. You would think that there's not enough to put on, to put that many on TV. Yeah, try. I'm trying to think of some Harry Potter puns here. <laughs> Might be too tired. Harry Harry Potter in the in the the pit of fire instead of goblet of fire. That's not so of, good. Let's see, prisoner of Azkaban, Harry Potter, and the, it, someone uh, said prison. Harry Potter and the prisoner of Auschwitz. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that's that, that's the easy one right there. Harry Harry Potter and the missing Fuhrer order Harry, instead Harry, of Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> Harry, Harry Potter and the Michelin Prince. Well, that one is a, that's a that's a slam dunk. <laughs> Harry. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I I'm I'm uh, I'm good here. Yep. Uh, any more questions? No, I don't think so. I'll just quickly do a refresh. Uh, so just announcements. Striker and I are actually doing a much better job of booking ahead of time. So yeah. we're gonna be consistent <laughs> at 9 p.m. on on Thursdays, unless we note otherwise. And uh, our ne- our guest next week's gonna be Thomas Rousseau. Yes. Yep. And the week after we'll have we have other guests lined up. Yeah, uh, we're working on more to have in advance. Oh yeah, I, I have. I told Stricker to give me a to give me a short list. I'm gonna just start uh, getting trying to get yeah. people on. So, all right. But uh, with that, just a reminder, I'm gonna be recording a pause button tomorrow night, so you'll have a new pause button this weekend as well. All right. Have a Fantastic. good night, everybody. All right. Take care, everyone. All right. I'm gonna play the music right now. Mm-hmm.